turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you young people from Atlanta would like to go to Sunday school, you're welcome to get up and just move on out. You've heard this sermon once, but uh, you may want to hear it again, but just feel free if you'd like to go fellowship with our young people in Bible study, move on out. Good. We'll give them just a moment to slip on out. We appreciate so much their coming. This is a group that's been traveling all over the last couple of months, living and working by faith, and we're delighted that they have included us in their itinerary. Jehoshaphat was one of the strongest and most effective kings that ever ruled in Judah. Indicative of his strong spiritual stature, in chapter 19, verse 4, we're told that he went out again through the people and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. Not only did Jehoshaphat give strong spiritual leadership, but he led in many social and political reforms. Even though the seeds of decay had been sown and the foundations of Judah were eroding, Yet for a time, God's people experienced peace and prosperity. In chapter 20, there is an incident that presents one of the most interesting and challenging lessons that I've found in the Old Testament. I've been reading this summer in the Old Testament and about a month ago came to this chapter and God really spoke to my heart. And so today I want to share because of my need and experience and because I'm sure in this Congregation this morning, there are many of you who are fighting some battle, whose lives are overwhelmed with all kinds of pressures and problems. Some of you today are defeated, and you need to experience the victory that is in Jesus Christ. As you know, reputation is what we seem to be to other people. Character is what we really are. Many times it takes adversity, disappointment, pain, to lay us bare and to reveal really what we are. We find in this chapter how through a battle, King Jehoshaphat and his people manifested real faith and character before God. In the first place, look at what I term a satanic attack. There in the opening verses of chapter 20, we're told that more than likely because of jealousy, some neighboring nation invaded Judah. This startling report was brought to the king. All was going well. Priests, the blessings of God were upon them. And in the midst of all of that comes the alarming news that the nation has been invaded. Look at Jehoshaphat's reaction. Verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. His first impulse was one of weakness, of defeat. He was afraid of what would happen to his nation. You can be sure that whenever in your life, your family, your church, that things are going well and you're enjoying the blessings of God, that, a, that suddenly Satan is going to attack you. He's going to get right in the middle to mess up what God's doing and to usurp the place of Christ's lordship in your life. For this reason, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 3, 18, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, 
walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. The Bible teaches that there is an enemy to fight, that there is a battle that faces us in the spiritual life. And all of us, in one way or another, encounter Satan's power. And so we need to learn spiritual warfare, how to handle the devil, how to resist temptation, how to experience in our lives and in our churches the victory that Jesus Christ has promised that he would give. You know, it's very evident that a lot of churches do not experience a deep measure of the power of God and revival simply because they don't know how to handle the blessings of God. And God has to withhold because they have not learned yet spiritual warfare and what to do when Satan comes to tempt them to use that blessing, that power, in a vain, selfish way. As soon as the church reaches a point in its life of victory and revival, then it is that the devil begins to sow seeds of misunderstanding and jealousy and difficulty and division. And so we need to be aware that we have an enemy to fight, that there is a warfare for us as individuals and as a church. In one way or another, Satan attempts to get at us to destroy what God is doing. Jehoshaphat knew of the strategy that would give victory. And so look at the steps that he and the people take in order to experience the victory that is in Christ. First of all, we're told that in verse 4, that he set himself to seek the Lord. In the midst of this startling, overwhelming news that the nation was invaded, by these strong enemies. Jehoshaphat knew that the only thing for him to do was to turn his face to God and seek the Lord with all of his heart. Also, he involved his people in that. For we find in verse 4 that all of Judah was gathered together to ask help of the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. The people, out of desperation, also began to pray and to seek God with all of their heart. And that's the first step that you and I are to take. When the devil attacks, when the problems mount, when the struggle becomes more than we seem to be able to handle, when day by day we experience in our own lives the enemy, that which we must do is to honestly seek the face of God. Look at the next step. And I describe this as simple trust. In verse 5, And Jehoshaphat that's such a long name. Let's just call him King Jay. And King Jay stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Note the people that are involved. All of God's people in Judah gathered together. And notice where they began to seek the Lord and to put their confidence in him. In the house of the Lord. There's a lesson in this. In the midst of the battles of life that you and I have to fight, we need each other in the body of Christ, don't we? We need the resources that come from fellowship and friendship and teaching with God's people in the body. And so if we want to live in the victory of Jesus Christ, it means that not only personally do we seek the Lord, but with God's people we become a part of the body and we draw strength and help from God's people in our struggle for life. The next thing that we notice, as they began to meet 
and to seek the Lord. They expressed their trust in three different ways. First of all, they addressed the Lord as the sovereign God of the universe. There it is in verse 6. He goes on to say, And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand? The people reminded God that he was sovereign, adequate, and as you come in the midst of your battle and struggle, remember that you're praying to the God of this universe who is sovereign and adequate in your situation. Here's the second thing. God is also addressed as the covenant God. There it is in verse 7. Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? They're saying not only are you the almighty God adequate, but you're merciful. You establish a covenant with Abraham and through the centuries you've manifested your mercy and grace. And so now, O oh God, we come to you and we're depending upon that mercy which is everlasting. This trust is further expressed in verse 12. As Jehoshaphat and the people continue to pray, now they say, O our God, wilt thou not deal with them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. That's a verse that I hope you will underline in your Bible. In the midst of their battle and struggle, the people said, God, we're nothing. We can't handle the enemy. Our eyes are upon you, for you alone are adequate. How about it? Right there in your world, if those heavy burdens, the temptations of evil, the struggle that you have, as you are fighting, will you come to the place that you really seek God and you'll put your trust in him and say, Lord, I just cannot handle this thing. It's greater than I am. I don't know what to do. Lord, my eyes are upon you. I'm depending upon you, my Lord. Move on to the third step in the spiritual strategy. As the people began to seek the face of God and to put their dependence upon him, in response, God began to work in their hearts and in that congregation. And we're told here that he raised up a prophet, the son of the Levites, and at this point, look at the end of verse 14, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. When the people sought him and depended upon him, God then was able to come into their lives and fill them with his presence. You see, whenever we come to the end of ourselves in the battles of life and we begin to really seek God and we put our eyes upon him, not upon our problems nor even upon the enemy, when we reach that point of real spiritual dependence, then God sends a greater measure of the Holy Spirit to flood our lives and to fill our church. And here is another lesson. The reason the people responded to the message of the prophet was because they were spiritually sensitive and attuned with the Holy Spirit. You see, preaching is not only a responsibility of the one who stands here, but also for those of you who sit there and listen. Oh, many times people have come and commented on a message, and I have been made aware it was because 
God prepared their heart. It was the Holy Spirit speaking, whereas other people just go out indifferent, without any blessing, without any help as they face life. As God's people prayed and sought his face, he sent his Spirit, and the Holy Spirit pricked their spiritual ears, and they received the message with their heart. And a great deal of the effect of this sermon today depends not just on what I say, but whether your heart is attuned to the Holy Spirit or not. As the people were filled with God's Spirit, then it was that the prophet gave some sensible advice. And here it is. In the first place, he tells them, don't be afraid, have courage. There it is at the end of verse 15. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God. And there's another verse that really speaks to my heart. In the midst of my own personal struggle, as I think about the spiritual warfare that's involved in leading a church, what a blessing it is to be reminded, son, it's not your battle to fight. It's the Lord's. Are you aware of that in your life? What is the battle that you're fighting today? What's the need in your life? What's the struggle? Have you come to the point that you're able to say, Lord, it is your battle, not mine. And that indicates that you are giving over to allow God to be God and work in your situation. Be courageous because God is God and he's able to handle the problems that confront you. Here's the second word of advice given in that message. Verse 17, they're told to have confidence in God's ability. Set yourselves. In other words, just, just be still now. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. Stop struggling. Stop the wheels that turn within as you rationalize and try to find an answer how you can do it. Simply be at peace and trust God and have confidence in his ability to give salvation in this situation. Will you do that today? In your struggle, as you face the enemy, will you today say, Lord, no need of my worrying, filled with anxiety. Lord, I'm just placing my confidence in you, and I know that you're going to give the answer, the need, in this particular situation. The third aspect of the message of the prophet is that they must also have faith and that faith is to be expressed in praise. Uh, on down verse 20, Jehoshaphat gets with it at this point and says to the people, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. If you believe in God, then life does not quake under the pressure and the temptation that comes, but life has an anchor. That anchor is God, and God is victory. He goes on to say, Believe his prophet. Listen to the message of the Lord. And so shall you prosper in this situation. God instructs King Jay for the people to express their faith in the Lord by worshiping and praising him. And so we find down there in verse 21 that after Jehoshaphat talked things over with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord so that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Can't you see this? The Russians invade Florida. 
and they're coming down I-4. And so we ask Ray to get the choir out, and the choir starts marching down Interstate 4, singing praises, saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Here come the Russians with all of their army, their tanks, their equipment. There is Ray in the choir praising the Lord. That's what it was there. Here were the soldiers of Ammon and Moab and their allies marching toward Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat, a man of war, yet one who realized that all that he had and could do was inadequate. He calls out the choir and sets the choir out there as a vanguard. And as they march toward the enemy, the choir sings. The people say, praise the Lord. Now, that's not just funny, but this, my friend, is the expression of faith. You see, anybody can praise God after the battle, after the victory's won, right? That doesn't require any faith to thank God what he has done. But faith is praising God for his adequacy in what he will do, right? And so you see, Jehoshaphat and the sweet singers of Israel and all of God's people went out believing God, praising him, shouting the hallelujah. It all said to God, you really do believe in me, don't you? You're not depending upon yourself. You're going to allow me to work miraculous and delivery. Now, my friend, whatever that battle is that you're fighting today, here is the lesson of the hour. Praise your way to victory. Jesus said, according to your words, so shall it be done. That is, words convey the thoughts of the heart. And if the heart is full of unbelief and pessimism, then words will convey doubt, murmuring, criticism, self-justification. An individual will ventilate that self-pity that's within. But if your life is filled with a confident, courageous faith in God, then what do you do? You don't spend time with all that negative talk. You spend your time praising the Lord. Now, friends, I'm trying to share where I've been and where I am. So many of these good, strong deacons in this church know my tendency at times to get down, to be blue, to wall in self-pity, to be critical. But again and again, God uses one of them in a letter or in a personal word or to come by to pray, our testimony such as we heard this morning, just to help me get my eyes off of myself and off of my problems and off of the enemy and put my eyes upon the Lord and his adequacy. And so as you, this day, wherever you are in your struggle to live life for Jesus Christ, instead of wallowing in self-pity and murmuring and complaining, right now say, God, I believe you, and I'm going to start praising you that you're going to work in my life and bring about the victory that I need. Will you do that? As you do, you will experience a sensational victory, as did these people in olden days. Look at verse 22. We find the source of this sensational victory. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, and to praise the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab. Do you have your Bible open? Read that, will you? And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab. And so the source of that victory is in the Lord God. 
as they allowed God to be God by expressing their faith in praise, then it was that God began to work in defeating the enemy. Look at the success of the victory. As the armies of the enemy approached the army of Judah, somehow they became confused and they started fighting one another. And we're told there in verse 23 that everyone helped to destroy another. And so by the time that Judah got to the battlefield, we find there in verse 24 and 25 that the armies of Ammon and Moab were all slain, just laying out there before them. You see, the victory of the Lord is always much better and more complete than the struggle that you and I will fight. Then the spoil of the victory, verse 25, they stripped off of themselves more than they could carry away. You see, when in your life and in our church we seek the Lord first, then the other things are added. We enjoy the spoil of the victory of the Lord. The problem with us so many times with me is that I'm more concerned about the problem than I am the problem solver. I'm more concerned about the circumstances than the God who is adequate for the circumstances. And the devil just uses certain situations to get my eyes off of him onto other things. And when I do, then God can't work. But when I place my eyes upon him, then it is that he works wonderfully and supplies the needs of life. And then in the last place, look, look at the surrounding effects of that victory. Everybody was talking about Judah. Everybody was saying, God is with that people. Folks were talking about how Jehoshaphat was God's man for that hour, and they were afraid to go up against God's people. And the word gets around whenever God is at work in a life or a family or a church. You know, the Bible is just full of examples of people who praise their way to victory. You remember the story of Paul and Silas being thrown into prison at Philippi? Here was a man who was called to minister in the first European city. And yet what did he get in response for the fruit of his labor? Put in jail. But instead of being down and wallowing in self-pity in that dark, dreary dungeon, you remember Paul and Silas were singing and praising God. And as a result, God sent an angel who delivered them. Some of you are in prison. Praise your way to victory out of that prison today. The early Christians were persecuted, put to death, and banished for their faith. But in the midst of death, banishment, the Christians just praised the Lord. The pagan world couldn't handle them because they just kept praising Jesus. There was John the Apostle. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, the little rocky, barren island. But in the midst of that loneliness, the midst of the pressures of pain and bereavement over the loss of family and loved ones, what did John do? We find in Revelation chapter 5 that as John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he was worshiping that God suddenly gave him a vision. The Lord just drew back the curtains of eternity, and there John saw Jesus. And John began praising the Lord with all of the hosts of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive 
power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And even though he died in exile, on path, yet John praised his way to victory. You see, sometimes faith in God delivers one from the prison. But many other times, as it was true of John, faith and praise just delivers one in the prison that he finds himself. But whether he takes you out of it or whether he takes it through you or whether he takes you through it, he's at it. Will you believe him? Will you today praise your way to victory? Let's bow our heads together, please.